0: This may sound like a, a really strange thing to say, but one of my favorite parts about ministry is attending elders and ministers' meetings. I, I know that, that might sound kind of weird, and I've been doing it now for over 20 years, at least once a month, uh, sometimes as often as once a week. And my favorite part about elders' meetings it's not just that Tom Ward brings snacks. He, do, he does bring snacks. And, and I'm not going to lie, that helps. But, uh, but, but my favorite thing about elders and ministers meetings is that these elders, these shepherds of our congregation, they're volunteers. And on top of everything else that they're doing, and on top of everything else in their personal lives and their family lives, on top of all the ministry that they're doing one on one, they volunteer this time to come together as a group to think through all the things that our congregation is dealing with, to, to listen to and address the concerns and the needs of all of the people, to make sure people and problems aren't being overlooked. And when a church is functioning the way that it's supposed to function, The results are very similar to what we see in Acts chapter 6. So I want to start this morning's discussion by looking at Acts chapter 6 and looking at the problem that existed, looking at the people that are there, and then looking at how these matters are dealt with. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, just for some context real quick, in the Jerusalem church at this time, everybody is Jewish, but that doesn't mean everybody is the same. They're all Jewish Christians, but there are two distinct ethnic groups. When we think about ethnic groups in the first century, we tend to think about Jews and Gentiles. Well, these are all Jewish Christians, but there's actually two ethnic groups. One are the, the Hebrews, and those are the people that have maintained a Hebrew culture. and they, they speak probably Aramaic, very closely related to Hebrew. They've maintained a Hebrew way of living. And, and then you have the Hellenists who've adopted for generations because of the Jewish diaspora, the spreading out of the Jewish people and the exile and because of that, there were some Jewish people who adopted a Hellenist or Greek culture. So they've adopted and adapted this Greek culture. They live in sort of a Greek way. They speak the Greek language. And the the Hellenists are saying that they are being intentionally overlooked in the daily distribution of food. When the food is distributed to the widows of the church, the... Hellenist group, the Greek-speaking widows, are being intentionally neglected and overlooked. Now, I think that there are several important things to notice here. One is that different groups in the church sometimes have different needs. Isn't that true? Different people have different needs. Because these women obviously were not rich women. They weren't able to provide for themselves. We can can see that rich people and people who struggle financially have different needs. Widows have different needs than married women. In fact, what we see here is what the Bible would call injustice. Injustice. And when the Bible talks about justice, we tend to think about justice in terms of somebody getting punished. That's not the way the Bible most frequently talks about justice. The Bible talks about justice. The people who need justice are usually widows and the poor and the orphans and, and the sojourners or the foreigners. And these are the people that need justice. And then we see that people in different ethnic groups sometimes have different needs. And we also notice that if we're going to pattern ourselves after the first century church, then we have to realize that when a group says, I'm being overlooked, I'm being neglected, I'm being mistreated because of my poverty because of my marital status, because of my ethnicity, whatever the case may be, I'm being neglected, I'm being overlooked, I'm being mistreated, then the rest of the church needs to listen, don't we? One group may have different needs than a different group. One group may be treated in a different way than another group. And when that happens, the rest of the church needs to listen to their brothers and sisters and come and say, what can we do to help? That's the way the church is supposed to function. The church is supposed to function in a way that says, we're all one, but we're not all the same. We're all one. We're all family And here we want to make sure that nobody is being overlooked, nobody is being neglected, nobody is being mistreated. And if you're mistreated because of your ethnicity, or you're mistreated because of your socioeconomic status, or you're mistreated because of your gender, or you're mistreated because of your marital status, then we want to come in and say, what can we do to help? What can we do to fix this situation? You see, that's what the Bible calls justice. Is when we see something broken and we say, what can we do to make things right? Now, the world is always going to be unjust, right? The world is always going to be unjust, but the church should be a place where everybody gets heard and everybody gets cared for. Verse two, and the twelve, the apostles summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, Again, several things to notice, and we've seen this, haven't we, in every lesson that we've done on shepherding. The apostles knew that they weren't going to be around forever, right? The 12 knew that their time and their ministry was going to be their lifetime, but eventually they weren't going to be around. And so we see them appointing others to other offices to make sure that there are systems in place to make sure that nobody is being overlooked and people are being taken care of. So the apostle says, we, we can't we can't do this, we can't serve on tables, but you need to find someone who can. You need to make sure that there are people appointed to this role, that there's a system in place where people aren't falling through the cracks, where people aren't being overlooked, where people are being taken care of. Verse five, and what they said please the whole gathering And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now one thing to notice about these men that are chosen, in addition to the fact that they're full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, is that they also have Greek names, Which means these men are are Hellenist men. And that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? This is a wise move, isn't it? On behalf of the whole disciples, all of the church, they picked out men who were of this ethnic group. When there's a, a particular group who are being overlooked, when there's a particular ethnic group who are being overlooked, it's a wise thing to delegate responsibility and authority to those who belong to that ethnic group to say, you see the needs. You know the needs. Let's make sure that no one is being overlooked. Let's make sure that nobody is being mistreated. Let's make sure that everybody is being cared for. Let's make sure that everybody is being loved. Let's make sure that justice is happening here where people are treated fairly and treated well. Verse 7, here's the result. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I love that, that Luke includes that, that a great many of the priests, If as we've been going through the book of Acts, you've probably noticed that it's the priesthood who has been most aggressively against the church up to this point. And Luke says, even some of them are starting to come around. Because this is what happens. This is what happens when the church is the church. When the church lives like the church. When the church takes care of one another. When the church addresses problems that exist when people are being overlooked and people are being mistreated and people are being neglected, the church rushes in and says, let's make sure that everybody's being taken care of. Let's make sure that everybody's being loved. Let's make sure that everyone is being heard, that everyone is seen for who they are and what they need. And people take notice. People on the outside say there's something happening here. That's what Jesus said was going to happen, didn't he? He said, they will know you are my disciples by your right theology. Is that what he said? You'll know, They'll know you're my disciples because you're so good at arguing. Is that what he said? They'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And the people on the outside recognized that something on the inside was happening that was from God. Now, I want you to look at the way Paul talks to evangelists about their appointing shepherds, elders in every community, and see how this, this idea of making sure people aren't overlooked. In fact, Paul's going to use the word overseer, and I like how overseer and overlook, oversee and overlook, very similar words but very opposite meanings, aren't they? We need overseers to make sure people aren't overlooked. Here's what Paul says to the evangelist Titus in chapter 1 and verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. And we're going to see this in, in both times Paul talks to evangelists about who elders should be. He's very specific about their home life. He's very specific about their family, because this is what elders are going to do. They're going to be people that, that make sure everybody's being listened to, and everybody's being loved, and everybody's being heard, and that everything is sort of functioning the way that it's supposed to. And if a man can't do that at home, if he can't listen to and love and take care of his wife and children, then he's not going to be able to do that when there are many, many, many different people with many, many, many different needs. And Paul says the proving ground for being an overseer starts at home. Because if he's not a good steward of his home, how is he going to be a good steward of God's family? In fact, look at these words that he uses. The first one is overseer. And that Greek word that we translate that way is defined as one who has the responsibility of safeguarding or seeing to it that something is done in the correct way, a guardian. That's what shepherds are. They're guardians. They're watching over. They're making sure things are done in a way where people aren't falling through the cracks, where people's needs are being heard, people are loved and listened to. And then that word steward says that they're going to be stewards of God's household. That word that we translate steward means a manager of a household or an estate. These men are going to steward their own family, but then they're going to come together and they're going to steward God's family. And if they can't do it in their home they're going to really struggle to do it with God's family. And then Paul says, when he's talking to the evangelist Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 4, that an elder must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own house or his own household, how will he care for God's church? Here he uses the word manage. And that word that we translate as manage means a couple of different things. One is to exercise a position of leadership, rule, direct, or be at the head of. Or it can mean to have an interest in, show concern for, care for, give aid. Which of those is fitting for elders? Yes, right? It's both, isn't it? They, They make decisions, but their decisions are always because they're Taking care of, giving aid to. This is the way it's supposed to work in the church. Where no matter your background, no matter where you come from, when you're here, when you're in this group, your family, and you're listened to, and you're loved, you're seen, and you're heard, and one of the roles of overseers is to make sure that that happens. This is why the church needs overseers to make sure people and problems are not overlooked. This is why we need overseers so that people and problems are not overlooked. It's really easy, isn't it, to just go on about our lives and just say, well, I don't have this problem. This doesn't bother me. It's not hurting me. I don't know why anybody would be bothered by this, And not understanding that, oh, no, no, your problems aren't necessarily somebody else's problems, and their problems aren't necessarily your problems. Shepherds are there to try their best to make sure that people and problems aren't being overlooked. And with that in mind, I want to have another, a third conversation with one of our shepherds. Brother Quentin Mims is going to join us this morning, and we're going to talk about what this looks like in the church.
1: Good morning, Brother Wes. Good morning. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm going to
0: have them switch that over. There we go. Well, let's start at the, the very beginning. I, I think this, this I think is an honor to say that you have been serving as an elder of the current eldership, the longest, right? That is true.
1: Okay, so how long have you been serving as an elder? I've been uh, honored to uh, serve this congregation for almost 19 years. Uh, So back in uh, 2003, when uh, I, along with Jim Cassidy and Vance Bryan, were appointed, um, I was 41 years old. My hair wasn't quite as gray as it is now. (laughs) I'm not sure it was gray at all at that point. So 19 years.
0: Well, I'm sure that a lot has changed at McDermott Road in 19 years. So kind of give us a picture of what things were like back 19 years ago here at this congregation.
1: Sure. You know, it's interesting uh, what things have changed. But it, back in, in that time period, uh, we were just a short uh, two or three years after we had begun worshiping here on site in 2000. Uh, We almost immediately went through a process and appointed an eldership that was appointed in January of 2001. And actually in the process, uh, that that eldership struggled uh, in part as they began to try to work through and appoint deacons. And by December of 2001, the eldership had dissolved. And the congregation then went through a period of time really of introspection and recovery. And part of that introspection was looking at what could the congregation do better? And, and we actually spent a time, uh, an extended period of study, uh, what we called followership. And we looked at, at a number of uh, episodes, in, in particularly in the Old Testament. For example, I think all of us are familiar with uh, the, the circumstance where the spies were sent. Uh, Moses sent the spies, the 12 spies, leading men from each of the tribes into the land that God had promised them. And they came back and 10 of those 12 gave bad reports. And the people rose up and said, no, we're not going to go into the land. And God ultimately uh, sent the people in the wilderness for 40 years for that new generation to come along. But bookending that story that we're all familiar with, that very chapter before in Numbers 12, you have... Aaron and Miriam rebelled against Moses. And they rebelled against him because he had a Cushite wife and they were unhappy with him. And then we have, right after the story of the spies, you have Korah, Daphne, and Abiram that rebelled against Moses and Aaron. And part of what we saw also in that time period is, in spite of Moses or Moses and Aaron being rebelled against, when God said, let me handle this, I will wipe this people out, and I'll raise another one up. And Moses and Aaron would fall on their face, and they would plead for God, don't do that. And so we looked at that and said, how do we take lessons from that? How do we, if Moses, who was hand-selected by God and who spoke with God face-to-face, could struggle because the people were rebellious, and God said, my people are a rebellious people, But if those people, because of their lack of following, could jeopardize the leadership of Moses, how can we as a congregation do better? So that's the context in which Jim Cassidy, Vance, Brian, and I were appointed. And one of the very first tasks we went about was to appoint deacons as one of the first tasks after we became elders.
0: I I can't help... But as I hear that story, to think about the humility of the congregation, to reflect on what could we have done better to keep the eldership from being what it was. And and then for you guys to step into that role in that sort of tumultuous time is incredibly uh, daunting, I'm sure. Um, and then as you, you said that one of the first tasks was to look at deacons and, and other ministry leaders. And, and I know, from sitting in y'all's meetings now that that continues to be something that's very important to the eldership is that relationship between the elders and the deacons and the ministry leaders making sure that all of that is what it's supposed to be so if you would talk about from your perspective
1: the importance of that relationship between the eldership and the deacons sure as I, as i think about maybe even one of, well, one of my favorite verses is micah chapter 6 verse 8 where there the prophet Micah says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And so as we think about that as a church and as an eldership, doing justice, loving kindness, is how do we manage the congregation? How do we shepherd the congregation? How do we oversee the congregation such that justice is being done, kindness is being shown, and we recognize, just like the, the apostles here in Acts, that we need help. That's what we needed our deacons, our ministry leaders to do. And so one of the things that Jim Cassidy, Vance Bryan, and I, and that we've continued to this day is a very important part of the elders' role is to know the men, who will be deacons, who are preparing to be deacons, because they are the ones that are being trained. We're training them some. Each one of us is training ourselves. Our study, everything about what we do day in, day out, is training men to help take care of each other. And so there are many things that we need to have deacons involved in. Yes, there are individual circumstances and we'll touch maybe just in, in a moment or two about those individual circumstances, but how better way for us to do justice and love kindness than by having more men, more servants involved in that are prepared for handling and addressing the challenges that each member here uh, finds that they find themselves in. Yeah. Well, I can't help but think that, there must have been a whole
0: lot of ministries that have been added in the last 20 years. We have so many ministries going on right now, and so it makes me wonder, as you look back at some of those incredible ministries that are happening right now, how do those ministries typically get started, and, and, and who who is the driving force behind those sometimes?
1: Well, you're right that we have many new ministries that we've added since the congregation was formed. And and I would say a common theme of how those ministries were added was as we, the elders, as the deacons, look out and are working with people who has a passion for a work of service, an area of service that this congregation can embrace and that fits within our overall goals and, and as, as, we, as we work, and I'd say an overall goal is that we want to present everyone perfect in Christ Jesus. And some of that is, what are those works of services? What does that look like? And I think about for instance, John Henry. You, uh, I think Mark mentioned that he is in Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. So John's passion for missions and his work in Honduras and then in Nicaragua, he helped galvanize and mobilize a, a group Many times over many years, just like Jerry Pyle with his passion for South Texas and Northern Mexico. Or I think about uh, Jan and Monty Cates mm-hmm. with Hearts and Hands, you know, the passion to do that. Or I think of Scott Stewart and Aaron Appleby with Thrive. I mean, just go one after another in, our, in the ministries that we have. It is a group of men or an individual that have a passion for that and, and help mobilize the congregation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's exciting to watch those things uh, go from an idea that somebody has to being a reality that is blessing people and making sure that everybody's being cared for to the best of our ability. Absolutely. So one of the things that, that you and I talked about ahead of time is is the fact that we have we have over a thousand people here. And so there are some things that, that affect whole groups of people, and then there are some things that affect one person, one individual, or one family. So how do you sort of balance that need to, to shepherd groups of people that have a certain need, demographics of people, uh, put systems in place with the need to, to minister to a single person or to a single family?
1: Well, as you might expect, it, it is a challenge. And, and I would say, while there are Individual needs. Well, first of all, everything is individual. It's unique. Each one of us is a unique, made-in-the-image-of-God standard-bearer. We have God's image. So the issues and the challenges that we might individually face may be unique. Now, there may be some some things that are common. When I I think about that, there are issues in the the passage that that you just touched on in Acts. There was a common need among widows. And so we have areas of, of benevolence, what we might refer to as agape, where we're loving and helping each other. The the idea is the orphans and the widows. That's a common area, but it comes down to individual needs. So we part of what the elders spend a lot of time doing and talk about in our meetings is whether it be in the selecting and identification of, of deacons. We are, and and Bentley Alexander has done a great job over the years helping us as we spend sometimes hours talking about men in the congregation, going through man by man and talking about what they're doing. Similarly, we we as elders need to spend a lot of time listening to what the needs are. We are men, so we're not women, so we need to listen to what the needs of the women are. We are, um, right now, we are... Caucasian men. Mm-hmm. So we need to be listening to what our brothers of color are and what their needs are because they aren't necessarily the same or the where the needs or where the hurting is may be different. Mm-hmm. So there are some that are common items that are identified but it is fundamentally different when you're dealing with someone that is dealing with a maybe a marriage in crisis. And yes, there are some common issues there and that's why we're so thankful to have someone like Brother Dave to help in that. But we spend a lot of time counseling. But we also spend time talking about who has the relationship, who has the ability to influence, particularly when you're dealing with brokenness and hurting. Who can step in? It may be an elder, it may be a deacon, it may be a minister, it may be another member of our congregation. How do we best mobilize the body mm-hmm. to deal with that but it's different when you're dealing with a, a marriage challenge it's different when we're dealing with pornography mm-hmm. or drug abuse or alcohol abuse or someone that is accused of some wrongdoing mm-hmm. how do we carry out justice mm-hmm. we don't jump to conclusions that someone just because they're accused that that in fact is true but if it is true how do we deal with that how do we deal with Simultaneously, the one that has been hurt and the one that did the hurting. Right. How do we deal with the circumstances where someone is struggling with their sexual identity or their gender identity? How do we deal with even as we, uh, as Mark had, had mentioned, you know, the, you know, Bobby Thompson this weekend and her family—they're dealing with and struggling with the pain of that immediate loss of her, of a spouse, or of a dad, Mm -hmm. or of a child. Those pains are different, Mm -hmm. and listening and surrounding them, and sometimes giving space, but being there when the need is is right. And that's part of what we, as an eldership, do our very best to coordinate, and we spend a lot of time thinking through how best to interact, Sometimes how best to intervene. Mm -hmm. When do we need to step in with hugs and encouragement? When do we have to step in with discipline and rebuke? Mm -hmm. And when that is required, how do we best do it? Mm -hmm. Because the purpose isn't to see that justice is done and the wrongdoer is punished and cast out. And even if a cast out is required, that is so that repentance will occur and that they're brought back together. So those are a lot of things that we spend time not only in prayer, in discussing what the next steps are, and oftentimes put it in, in, in all the time. But oftentimes we don't have the immediate answer. We put it before God and allow God to give His answer to us. And that, and that is again a think about. The individualized circumstance, each one of us have needs. Each one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And that as a congregation, we want to be about presenting everyone perfect in Christ. And that's why at this time, if we move to the the invitation, we want to extend the invitation to this congregation to know, we recognize that there are, yes, there are common needs, but there is the individual need. And God looks, and he knows the heart of each one of us. He knows who is struggling with sin. He knows who needs repentance. He knows who has never put on Christ in baptism so that we start that relationship with Christ. And we want to be available, whether here now or in the prayer room or by email or phone, anytime, your elders, your ministers, your deacons, the other leaders and followers in this congregation stand ready to assist. If you have a need that we can help with, please come forward with stand and sing.